The Money Show. Other people's money. Circle of Life at the Havasi Symphonic Concerture, Budapest, 2016. Who came up, Lebohan Morake? Who came up with that beautiful piece of branding? I remember hearing your name for the very first time and immediately thinking, Puccini, Labohem, Lebohem. And I just thought to myself, it's a brilliant piece of, of global branding that you've got yourself. Was that yours? Labohem, no, no, no. I don't have anything like that. No, really? Yeah. I, I, I thought it was, I thought you'd done Lebo I M. Should, I should, I should. Yeah, it's brilliant. I should, but I don't. Yes, sir. How are things going? Um, how's lockdown treated you? Where are you tonight? Oh, good evening. I'm home. I'm in Johannesburg. Uh, things are a bit somber. First condolences to all the families in the country, yeah. in the nation. We're all going through a very difficult time loss of life uh, and all kinds of things. So th things are a bit, a bit somber right now. Well, they are. I mean, somber in the United States, we have spent a lot of time, I think a lot of more hope in the United States than we've got here. Far more advanced in terms of uh, vaccination rollouts. There's the, the Biden era, lots of really progressive stuff happening in the United States. South Africa, of course, yeah. uh, going through really, really difficult times. But let's talk about you. And your music career, you start performing at a, a really, really young age, don't you? I mean, those early days, just you know, give me a synopsis of what were you, 9, 10, 11? When did you start performing? Well, uh, I, was, I was born in Soweto in Tari location. Uh, I started performing uh, professionally, quote unquote, at age 14. Prior to that, I was a youth clique uh, kid and Tari Youth Club, much more uh, ballroom dance and and, and everything, but I guess one could say everything has always been entertainment related. But I'm a uh, 1976 generation township kid, basically. And uh, at 14, I was at the Pelican as a background singer, probably the youngest at that time in the country, uh, the Pelican having been uh, the institution that uh, the best musicians in the country played at that time. Where was the Pelican? Talk to me about the, 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 the Pelican and its heritage and its importance. 
the, the Club Pelican is actually an institution that produced probably some of the best talent in the 70s. Uh, I'm showing to the 80s in Orlando, literally uh, right across Orlando Stadium in Soweto. Some of what I read says you left school at the age of nine. Did you? Well, 1976, I think I must have been uh, what, 13 or so. So that probably is not contextually correct. But okay. what that is meant to say is I was not necessarily a very school kid, schooly kid. I probably about 9, 10 or 11. I was between ballroom and uh, street band life. I would show up in school in the morning, as all the kids would do. <laughs> and probably... Going back after lunch was, uh, I would rather take a whipping at home, which I probably generally did uh, because I wanted to go be with the street band. <laughs> but, but you had your first single by the age of 13. Um, you were singing, backing, uh, you were a backup singer at the Pelican, but it was in exile in Lesotho, uh, where the, was it the US ambassador who saw your talent and got you into the Duke Ellington School of Music in, in Washington, D.C.? Well, yes, I did leave from South Africa. I was now 16 years old in 1979, having done my first single, uh, 13, 14 years old, released by EMI. Uh, but I don't remember getting a penny for it. <laughs> I went to exile, <laughs> ended up in Lesotho. Then in Lesotho, we basically took a different route from the average uh, South African refugee at that time. Most of our, our peers, would leave the country through political channels, whether it's ANC, uh, Black Consciousness Movement, or the PAC. We basically went to Lesotho and started our own thing. Yes, we did get a, a very uncomfortable asylum of about 30 rands, which was uh, not comfortable for us, because at that point I was working in nightclubs and was used to making a little bit more money. Uh, so we started playing hotels and, and uh, uh, you know five-star restaurants and interacting and mingling with very high-profile uh, African diplomats and, and all sorts of things. Fortunately, we interacted with uh, and met then-ambassador of Lesotho based in Washington, D.C., Tate Tintahani, who became the first person to fulfill a promise that anybody that we basically ran into and they enjoyed these two little kids that were playing in a restaurant, we always used to say, I want to go, we want to go to America. <laughs> Mr. Tahani... Uh, facilitated for us to end up in uh, Washington, D.C., where I entered the Tukelinton School of the Arts. That's when really school became a bit more meaningful because it was both academics and, uh, you know, morning was the creative arts, yes. And so you were doing what you loved. What you loved. And by, by 1983, you end up in Los Angeles. I mean, that's the, the epicenter of the world of, of big entertainment. And it strikes me, I mean, you go and you do some really tough jobs, I mean, including a job at McDonald's. And I wonder what you think of that time now, because some people build very good careers at places like McDonald's. Others use them as a means to an end just to survive until the good gigs come along. But it forms a really important part of so many people's lives in terms of a first job, in terms of, of earning a living. It's, it's a valuable, maybe, career step. Well, McDonald's was a privilege to work at McDonald's at that time. I mean, coming from where I was coming from, I finished high school. Uh, it was based in Washington, D.C., and then was between D.C. and New York. Uh, landed up in Los Angeles with a big promise to be a superstar. That promise died the same day we landed in Los Angeles at that time. 
then were in the streets uh, for about a year and a half or so, then hustled our way up, uh, did all kinds of jobs, uh, worked in restaurants. Uh, I drove taxis in Los Angeles. At some point, I had about three jobs at the same time, a taxi driver, valet, and McDonald's. And uh, But in between all of that, always doing, uh, at this point, I met um, Lemert Park coming out of South Central Los Angeles. At Lemur Park was a cultural hub of uh, Los Angeles and the black community. And it was a nightclub there uh, that we used to do a talent search and talent show at that got me embedded in the, uh, what we call the neighborhood band uh, system. And then I worked my way up to uh, long before Lion King, long before my first movie. Uh, every time a South African artist came at that point, I would hustle our way to that show. And then I was, Finally, fortunate and met uh, my great friend, Johnny Clegg, who's a producer and manager Hilton Rosenthal was based in uh, Los Angeles and owned a studio. So that became my first studio gig where I was a coffee runner and uh, that led to me meeting, I uh, guess 30 years this year, I met uh, my good friend Hans Zimmer and we started working on our first uh, film, uh, The Power of One. The Power of One was my yeah. first movie actually. Yeah, and Bryce, it's a bright court. Bryce Courtney's first book, of course, that put him uh, on the global stage as well. And then came Cry Freedom and you assembled the choir for that. And you were working at Sarafina when the call came for The Lion King. I mean, you were building and building and building, but The Lion King surely must have been a, a real breakthrough moment for you from a global perspective. Uh, of course, The Lion King, uh, with the power of one and did a few other movies. And then uh, it was a very interesting period when The Lion King came because uh, I had just started coming home from exile, I think it's 1992, 93, the first time I came back home. So I was embedded back in being uh, a South African and uh, got a call um, that I was going to go to Los Angeles and do an audition uh, with Hans, having done two other movies before Lion King with Hans. Did the audition that lasted, I guess, about... 40 minutes. I basically flew into Los Angeles to the audition and uh, went right back. A demo, which was, I guess, an audition at that time, went back. Uh, two months later or so, I was called, called in to do this new Disney movie as a vocal arranger and uh, uh, co-composer with Hans Zimmer. That was The Lion King. We're talking to Lebo M this evening. Other People's Money is a world-renowned composer and producer. And currently in Johannesburg, we're going to talk to him a little bit about money this evening. Because now we've got the career story out the way and we've we contextualized it all. More with Lebo M in a moment. The Money Show. Other People's Money. Tonight's other person is none other than Lebo M. He's a world-renowned composer and producer tonight in Johannesburg. But I am told, uh, according to the research, that there is still a house in Los Angeles. I mean, do you, uh, other than COVID, intend to keep sort of going back and forth, Lebo M? Uh, yeah, prior to COVID. Now, actually, my base has been home, which is South Africa, Johannesburg. Uh, for quite a long time now, I got rid of my U.S. properties maybe about four, six years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm South African based. I go in and out of South Africa to work. I am basically a long time. Uh, I do spend a long time, a month or two or three in Los Angeles and New York and, of course, around the world, depending on what work is uh, uh, instructing me to get there. 
Uh, and that work has been scarce. Have you managed to work remotely? I mean, has it? Have you managed to to crack the work from home model in what you do? Well, I mean, like everyone else uh, around the world, prior to lockdown and COVID, uh, I was preparing a world tour, and we we're about to do our fourth uh, Hans Zimmer world tour featuring Level M, uh, and uh, I was about to do my album, my first album in 25 years. And the, the world shut down, and of course, we were the most hardest hit, uh, meaning my industry and my sector, uh, the entire, uh, we had about probably 12, 13 productions of the Lion King Broadway show running around the world with a large number of South African talent, and uh, we got hit very hard. Uh, so we're beginning now to, uh, in short, I've been home the entire time since lockdown, which to be honest, uh, it's got a lot of downside, but I also loved being home because it would have been the first time I'm literally in South Africa for more than three months, let alone a year, in many years. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, it's not been easy working remotely, uh, but we had started working remotely uh, sometime in 2019, uh, even in South Africa, my reality show, and in Los Angeles on a couple of other projects. But now, uh, for the first time since lockdown, I'll be leaving for Switzerland next uh, next month, August, for my first show, uh, and oh. then I'm out basically uh, around the world. I mean, and, that's uh, brilliant. Do you feel like it'll be sort of back to some kind of normalcy then? I mean, being able to tour some and being able kind to travel. Of yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Look forward to it. No, it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. Your industry has taken so much pain. I mean, the entertainment industry, which we all depend upon for our mental health and goodwill, because boy, we need it. Um, and I don't think we appreciate it nearly enough until it's gone. Um, and we, uh, we saw the, the closure today of the Dome in Johannesburg, which has, you know, been a, an entertainment venue for nearly a quarter of a century. Quite, quite, an uh, quite an institution, yeah. yeah. And it's devastating. I mean, yeah. You've also, I suppose, lost income as a result of you know, the closure, uh, temporarily at least, of all of those Lion King shows. I mean, uh, it's, I'm sure it's, it's been tough for people at the bottom of the pile, but even for you, somebody who's become more established, uh, it would have come at you know, a substantial financial cost. There's, there's losing income. There's, then there's losing a little over 95% of your income from yeah. around the world. Uh, so, yes, like you say, I really like your statement. Uh, devastated whether you're at the bottom and devastated whether you're at the top, but probably especially those of us at the top because, uh, and lessons learned, there's a bit of complacency that uh, one would have had before this global hit on the economy. And of course, we've uh, experienced uh, New York Stock Exchange, shut down and all kinds of things, but nothing like this, where you... Uh, are used to a certain lifestyle, you're used to set, uh, working in a certain way, you're used to traveling in a certain way. Then comes this strange phenomenon, uh, COVID-19, and you're shut down. And in our business, uh, uh, we, we need seats, uh, uh, bums on seats, uh, eyes on, on, on a tune uh, for us to, to earn a living. So uh, sadly, we are the most hardest hit. Yes, indeed. I've seen Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber really angry about the UK government's handling of the crisis. And of course, the West End is such a, a critical element of so much of what you do as well. Lion King has been huge in London. Uh, when do you think we get back to some kind of normal? I'm not sure if, it's, if uh, anybody can predict uh, that. But uh, in terms of our space and our work, fortunately, 
We're beginning to reopen. Uh, we're already uh, uh, now set to reopen uh, New York, Lion King on Broadway in September. I look forward to going there. We have two or three other companies around the world that have already started opening and are looking very good. Uh, London will also open uh, sometime this year in the West End. Uh, but that's my, I call it my day gig. Then uh, I have serious discussions now on two major movies, which are not ranking related. Uh, we are now talking very strongly on uh, touring uh, on, on other uh, uh, projects. So th there's, there's a great deal of hope outside uh, uh, the continent and outside South Africa right now. But I think we'll get there. We, we will get in terms of South Africa uh, with the, the slow, slow uh, pace that we're going. Eventually, we'll get there and things will open up again. Yeah, we can't, we can't wait. <laughs> Lebo M, thank you so much for joining us. Other People's Money, world-renowned composer, producer Lebo M, getting ready to go back on the road again.